Uh, it's so good to have all of you here with us this morning. Just glad to be with you. This is our second week in this series that we are calling New Life and like learning to experience what new life looks like. And I don't know about you, but sometimes like we talk about following Jesus and we talk about, okay, when we follow Jesus, like everything's going to change. And they're like, okay, well, now what? Like we, we, we decide, okay, I want to follow Jesus. And that's that big like question of, okay, what do I do now? Like, what happens now? What, what difference goes on in my life? And, and in a lot of ways, that's what this series is kind of answering for us. It's helping us see the ways, the rhythms of life that we can learn, that we can do, that help us to follow Jesus and look what it's like to follow Jesus. So if you want some practical, if you want, like, show me the things that I need to do, show me the differences in my life that need to happen, here you go. Be with us the next seven weeks, counting today, and we're going to walk through this together. Today, we're going to be talking about abiding in Christ. And so that's where we're going to be. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip those out. We're going to be hopping around a little bit um, on, in Scripture today. But as we get ready to get started, has anybody taken the uh, selective attention test? Maybe if you took like a counseling or a psychology class or a course, um, maybe you don't know the name of it. It's, it's the one with the gorilla. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? All right, so this is a really, uh, it's a pretty popular, famous test. You can check it out on YouTube if you want. But what happens is there's a 30-second video where there's six people on a screen, and there's three wearing white shirts, three wearing black shirts, and you are told what to do. It tells you, it's like, count how many passes. They're, they're passing a basketball around. And it says, count how many passes the people in white shirts do. And so you begin to start watching this and see, counting the, counting the passes, beginning to, to count them. If you want to know, here's your, here's your answer. It's 15. The answer is 15. But as you begin to watch this video and you're just watching the passes, something really interesting happens. Is a gorilla, well, a person in a gorilla suit, walks through the screen, stands in the middle of the screen, beats his chest for a little bit, and walks off. The gorilla is on the screen for nine seconds out of the 30. So it's a 30 second video and nine seconds of it, the gorilla is on the screen. And I think most of us would say, if there's a gorilla on the screen, I'm probably gonna notice that, right? Like most of us say like, we don't see gorillas every day. Like if there's a gorilla walking in front of us, we're gonna notice that, right? Most people would say, yeah. Statistically, no, you wouldn't. More than 50% of people they don't see the gorilla. More than 50% of people miss the gorilla that walks through the screen. Why? Because they're paying attention to something else. They're, they're, they're spending too much of their time counting the passes to see the gorilla that's walking in front of them. And as I was thinking through that test and I was watching that this week, I'm thinking like, I think that's sometimes what we end up doing in our, in our faith. We get so fixated, we get so focused on just doing a bunch of things that we miss the gorilla walking through the middle of our, of our lives. And so the premise of today, what we're going to be setting up is this, is, is quit doing things for Jesus and start being with Jesus. So that's, that's the premise we're going to be working on today, is to quit doing things for Jesus and start being with Jesus. Now, I want to make sure we're clear. I'm not saying this is what we do for the rest of our lives. Like, okay, I don't have to do anything. Like, this is a container. We talked about this last week. The containers of life, like moments in our lives, this is what we need to do. We need to take some time to quit doing so many things and just rest, to, to be with Jesus. And this means even, even some good things, like reading our Bible or, or praying. Those are really good things to do. And guess what? We're going to talk about those next week, so don't worry but it's taking this time to just, to just stop, to be with Jesus, to be spending time with him. Here's the thing. We don't need to confuse learning about Jesus with actually knowing Jesus. 
Think about this in any context of a relationship, all right? If, if I go and I, I learn a lot about my wife, okay? I learn her, what I know what to order when we get takeaway from Nakshi. I know what she's going to want, like, for, for sweets. I, I kind of get this idea. I know, like, what kind of tea she wants. I can learn all these things. But if I'm never with her, like, what good does that do? It just makes me a creeper, creepy stalker, right? Like, it's not really that important. Like, I can learn all these facts about her, but if we're not actually with our spouse, if we're not actually with them, like, what's it matter? Like, it, it's not like people are going to have like this interrogation thing where I'm going to have to answer all these questions about it. It's like the spending time with people. We need to actually be with Jesus. We don't just need to know a lot about him. We need to be with him to be like him. I don't know if you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke, in Luke chapter 10. So in Luke 10, Jesus shows up to the house of Mary and Martha. And, and as he's there, like Martha, she is like, okay, Jesus is coming over for dinner. Jesus is coming to hang out. There is so much to be done. Like she looks all around the house, like the house is a mess. Like I got to go slaughter this lamb so I can feed Jesus. I got to go work in the garden, go get some food ready. Like she is just busy doing all kinds of things for Jesus and getting things ready for him. And then there's Mary sitting around doing nothing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and Martha comes in. It's like, Jesus, tell Mary to stop being lazy. Can you tell her to start doing something? And as I read this story, like, I sympathize with Martha. I'm like, that's me. Like, I'm the type A. I'm, the, I'm that personality. Like, let's, let's always do something. I'm the guy that likes planning, like, my, my day, my 30-minute blocks. Like, that's what I like to do. That's me. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and do something. Like, what's happening here? And Jesus instead... This is what he says to Martha. He says, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taking, taken away from her. So Jesus is saying, yeah, doing things is it's good, sure, but there is something that is so much more important that we just need to be, we need to abide, we need to be spending time with Jesus. We need to be actively doing this. We need to be actively spending time with him. We need to be scheduling our lives so that we can have these moments. And I think if you're anything like me, like when you think about scheduling your life, you, thought, you think about scheduling your faith, like something about it just seems a little disingenuous, right? Like, well, if I have to make a plan, if I have to make a schedule to spend time with, with Jesus, isn't that a problem? No, I think, it's a, I think it's a good thing for us to be scheduling. Like, think about this once again with a partner or a spouse. Like, if you tell them, like, hey, I scheduled a special night for us, a special time for us to get away and be together, they're not going to be like, you had to schedule that? Like, no, they're going to be happy. They're going to be thrilled about this opportunity to be together. And so scheduling and, and intentionality and actively doing these things is, is not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. It's the thing we must intentionally stop. And abide in Christ. Because you guys know as well as I do. Our world, our lives are busy. We are running from here, there, and everywhere. We are going and just moving. And so what we need is we need to intentionally stop and just be with him. The, the emphasis here is intentionality. Like we need to put this as a rhythm of our life, something that we constantly, daily, multiple times a day that we are doing. And as we go through a series like this, I think sometimes our tendency might be, like Stephen and I may give a suggestion of something that you can do, and you look at your life and be like, yeah, I can't do that. And so what I want to encourage you guys is, is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? What I want you guys to do is not be like, well, I can't do that, I can't do any of it. Because that's, that's not the point of this. And so we're going to be giving suggestions and things that we think it would work for you or things that have worked for us and what we're working on doing. 
But here's the thing. We're all different. My life with two little kids looks a lot different than, than Blake's life in, in an internship. Like our lives just look different. We can do things differently. And so my encouragement is not to just be like, well, I can't do that. No need to try. Like, is, is to be praying through these things, figuring out ways that we can implement, implement these into our lives. And because here's the thing, this is something that, that Jesus and God want, want for us. This isn't just something that, that Jesus is saying, hey, that's a good idea for you. But he also does the same thing. So if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 5. In Luke 5, verse, verse 16, here's, here's what it says. It says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So Luke 5, 15, once again, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Okay, that's nice. But if we look at the verse before it, I think this is really helpful for us. It gives us some good context here. So Jesus is gone and he has healed some guys of leprosy. And Jesus has said, hey, don't tell anyone about this. And what do they do? They go and tell everyone about this, right? Because like you've been healed of leprosy. Like how can you not tell someone about it? And this is what happens with Jesus. Despite Jesus's instructions, the reports of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. When Jesus's life when Jesus' job, when Jesus' ministry, when Jesus' day-to-day got even busier, when it got crazy, when it got insane, Jesus said, okay, we need to take a step back. We need time to just be. Jesus retreated. Jesus withdrew to spend the time with the Father. And if Jesus does this, when his life was getting busy, when Jesus did this, when theft was going on in his life, shouldn't we? Do the same thing? Like Jesus made this a priority, so we need to be making this a priority. This is something that we need to do. And not only does Jesus do this, but he also calls us to do the same thing. And so perhaps as you flip here, go ahead and flip to to John 15. And when we get to verse 5, if you want to sing, feel free to sing along as we read through verse 5 together. That's that's fine. But John 15, verses 4 through 8 I just want to read these to us. We're going to look at this for just a second. And here's, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anybody? All right, there we go. Very good. Thank you. There we go. So I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such, a, such branches are gathered in a, to a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to our Father. And just as we read that, I just want to make sure we, we see this. We will never be able to achieve things for Jesus without being with Jesus. This is what what Jesus is telling us. Like, notice the cause and effect. Three times Jesus says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Three different times in these five verses, this is what Jesus is saying. It's like, you have to remain in me. And one thing that I love is Jesus is saying, like, I am ready to remain in you. I am waiting for you to remain in me so that I can remain in you. He is wanting this. He is longing for this. He is desiring to be with us. He's like, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. He is ready. He is willing. He desires this of us. And we must, we must 
remain in Christ because He is the vine and we are the branches. And here's the thing, friends. If we are not connected to the vine, we, we cease being a, a, a branch and we become a stick, right? Like, because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say, hey, be a stick. Jesus says, be a vine. Because the reality is, unless you're a dog or a kid, like a stick is really kind of worthless. Like it doesn't really do much. Like there's not much you can do with it. Like we can take our sticks and we can, we can tape some or glue some fruit to the end of it and keep it kind of far away from people and they can pretend to see like, oh, look, I'm abiding, I, I'm producing fruit. But the reality is like, it's fake. The only way for us to be producing fruit, the only way for us to be doing the things that Jesus desires us to do is if we're connected to him. It doesn't even matter how close, how much it looks like fruit if, it's, if we're not connected to the vine. It's fake. It's, it's, it's not real. Last summer, Tiffany and I were, were in Mexico on a holiday. And so we were, for our 10-year wedding anniversary, Tiffany's parents took us to Mexico. It was awesome. But one of the things we were doing is like every time we would go to eat, there was like fruit everywhere. Like on every top of every buffet, there was just, there was just fruit. Like, and there was one, thing, one day I was going in and I was like looking around and there was some fruit. It was kind of in a weird area, but it's like, okay, I think this is probably fruit. And I look at it and like, it looks a little weird. But I was like, there's fruit everywhere, and so this must be it. And so I, I'm like, I'm debating. I was like, is this actually real? Like, I don't know. And so I pick it up, naturally. I'm like, still can't tell. Like, I was just like debating. I'm like looking around and see if people, no one's staring at me. I was like, all right, there's really only one way to find out if this is real or not. And so I look around again, and I go to take a bite of this apple. It wasn't real. It was completely fake, and it was like this rubbery, weird apple. I was like, I don't know why fruit has to look so real if it's not real. And so I just like sit it back and go for there. And I was like, let me try another place. Like, even if it looks real, it's fake. And if we are not connected to the vine, like we can pretend, we can look, we can act like we're really doing things for Jesus. But if we're not connected to him, are we really? Are we a branch or are we just a, are we just a stick? And we can pretend and we fake it. And I want us to look at verse 5. I want, to, I want us to look at this backwards. At the end of this verse, Jesus says, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's almost as this Jesus is just shouting at us and stop. Stop trying to do things apart from me. Stop trying to do all these things for me and just be with me. Like Jesus is saying, hey, quit working on the car that won't run and just let me hand you the diesel and let it get going. Jesus is saying, stop. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I just want to raise your hands in here. How many people in their life want to accomplish nothing? Really? No one wants to accomplish nothing? Of course not. Like, we want our lives to matter. No one at the end of the day wants to be known for their incredible Netflix binges, right? Like, at the end of the day, we don't want to be like, I binge so much Netflix, look at me. I mean, at the end of the day, no one really wants to be known for, like, staying in late and, like, sleeping in late and going to bed early and, like, like that's, that's all that we did in life. No one, that's not what we want to be known for. Like, we don't want to be even known for how many books we listen to or how many podcasts we, we've gone through. Like, we want to be known for actually doing things, right, to, to making a difference. Nobody wants to be known for being a world-class napper. Like, we want, to, we want to make a difference. We want to do something. And Jesus is saying, if you want to do something, You've got to be connected to me because apart from me, you can do nothing. We want our lives to matter. So Jesus says, he starts off, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. This is how, this is how we produce fruit. 
So we connect to the vine. We abide in Christ. We connect to Jesus and we stay with him. And before we worry about doing all these things, we make sure that we are actually with him. We are abiding with him. Jesus is giving us the key to producing fruit. He's giving us the key of how to live a a satisfying life. He's giving us the key of how to live a fruitful life. He's like, abide in me. And so maybe for you, you're wondering, like, like, okay, what what does the word abide mean? Like, that's not really a word that we use very often. Like, I don't often say, hey, Ava, come abide with me. Like, that's just not what I say, right? And so maybe just the words that we can use are stay, remain, reside. Like, some of these words are also translated. I think it was really fascinating the way this word is used in in Acts chapter 27. So we find this word abide in Acts 27. What, What happens in this moment is, is Paul and some of his companions, they're on a ship. And they're riding, and the ship has like, been wrecked. And the ship is beginning to fall apart. And, and some soldiers are trying to sneak away. They're trying to get on the lifeboats and run away. And Paul says, unless they abide on the ship, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy. It's going to be destroyed. Unless they remain here, we're all going to die. And for me, I thought it was a really helpful analogy. Is like, unless we stay firmly planted unless we stay fully committed, unless we stay put of where we are, things are going to go terribly wrong. So we abide, we stay put, we stay firmly planted in Christ, with Christ. And this is this idea, we stay, we stay put. Another way to think about this is maybe think of abide in, in this idea of tabernacle. So we can kind of see these words, they, they're quite similar. And so the tabernacle, as you read through the, the Old Testament, before the temple was built, this is the thing that, that was set up for, for Israel to go and to, to be in God's presence. It's where God's glory, where God's presence was. It was in the tabernacle. And so what we're seeing when we talk about abiding is this idea of like, these are the moments where we recognize that we are in the presence of God. We take the time to just be with him, to stay with him, to realize whose presence that we are in, who we are abiding with. And here's the thing, friends. I want us to be real careful on this. Do not mistake church for abiding. Let me say that again. Do not mistake coming to church for abiding in Christ. Because here's one, it is, no doubt, one of the ways that we, we do abide in Christ is, is, is being at church. But if you were with us last week, Stephen said, like, community group and church is the bare minimum. Because this is not the only place, this is not the only time that we abide in Christ. Like, honestly, can we honestly expect to be connected to the vine if we are doing it one to two hours a week? Can we really expect that to be a thing that we're only doing a few days a week? No, like that's not the way that it works. And so as we begin to walk through the scriptures, we see a number of, of examples of this. Once again, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to, to, to Psalm uh, 46. Psalm 46. It's a beautiful passage. Perhaps you've, you've heard it before. We t- one, that I, one, of my, one of my favorites. Psalm 46, verse 10. Here, here's what it says. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. I want us to focus on verse 10 for just a second. The, the start of verse 10. Be still and know that that I am God. Friends, in order to know God, we have to turn down the volume around us. 
If we are going to be still, if we are going to know God, we have to be sure that we are turning down the volume around us. So this could be literally, right? Like we literally have to turn down the music. Like we literally have to turn down the TV. We literally have to turn down the conversations. We literally have to turn down what is going on. Maybe it's a literal thing in order to turn the volume down. Maybe it's a figurative thing. Maybe you need to turn down your your schedule. You need to turn the volume down on your plans. You need to turn the volume down on on your to-do list. You need to turn the volume down on on these inadequacies or, or this regret or these shame that bubbles up inside of you. You just need to turn those things down. Maybe for some of us it isn't a turn down. Maybe for some of us it's it's a put down. Put down the phone. Put down the remote. Put down the magazine. I don't even know if people read magazines anymore, but but put down the book. Just put it down. And just just know. Know him. We cannot know him with the volume being so loud around us. Like, can, can anybody just identify with that? Like, our world is loud. There is voices coming at us from every direction. Like, who can't use less volume and more time to, but, to be with Jesus? I think, I think we all can. And here's the thing. Like, this isn't just this, this thoughtless, mindless, like, idea. This isn't just like, oh, I'm just going to kind of be. Like, no, this is intentional. This is mindful and exercise, an intentional exercise of our, of our spirit. And if we look to, to 1 Kings 19, we see another example of the stillness that I think is really helpful for us. And so if we, as you're flipping there, like, just to kind of set up what's happening in, in, in 1 Kings 19, there's this guy, Elijah. And Elijah has just had this incredible moment on, on Mount Carmel. He's had this beautiful moment where he challenges, he takes on the prophets of Baal, and like he wins. And then like he's just showing how powerful God is, how God is the real God, how he's the true God. It's been an amazing moment for Elijah. And then like Jezebel like says something mean to him and scares, like, well, he says he's gonna kill him. So it's not just something a little bit mean, but like he said, I if if you are alive tomorrow, like so help me. And so he like he freaks, he panics, he begins to be afraid, he drops into this deep depression, and, and God comes alongside of him and he feeds him and he gives him some water. And we talked about this with our community group. Never underestimate eating in a nap. Like that's that's a beautiful thing to do. Um, but this is what God does to him, and he goes and he, he makes it to this mountain. And God shows up and he meets him there and God feeds him and he naps again. It's a beautiful thing. Um, But we see this in verse 11 through 13. I think there's this powerful, symbolic message here. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. So go, and this is God speaking now. So go and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was this earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle sound of a whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Like, I think, I think this, is, this is beautiful. And as I began to write, read this passage my entire life, like, I've always kind of been really confused by this. Like, isn't this, like, wouldn't Elijah need, like, to know that God is there, like, in a really loud and powerful way? Like, doesn't Elijah need to hear God in the earthquake or in the storm or, or, or in the, the, the fire? Doesn't God, doesn't he need that? This, I mean, isn't that what we want? I think for most of us, like, that's what we want. We want God to do something really loud, really powerful, really incredible, so that we're like, okay, that's, that's him. 
But as we begin to see in the story, Elijah has just seen the power of God. That's not what he needs. Notice what undoes Elijah is the, is the small voice. What Elijah needs is he doesn't need God's power in this moment. What he needs is he, he needs God's presence. He needs to know that God is there. He needs this moment. He needs the presence of God to be with him, to sustain him. And I think the same thing is true of us. Like We don't always need just this loud stuff. We just we need, we need to know that God's presence is there. And it's in this quiet, this, this stillness that Elijah is able to hear him. When the noise is all around him is so loud, when all of that has died out, when the volume has been turned down, he begins to hear the voice of God. And here's the craziest thing. Here's what I, here's what I love about this idea that Jesus is setting up for us. Is this idea of abiding, this isn't some like revolutionary new thing that Jesus and people never thought of. Like this isn't just like this, this absolutely life shattering, well it is life shattering, but this isn't like this new discovery. Like what we begin to see as we walk through scripture is like this is how we were wired. This is what we were made for. And one of the things I love is like this isn't a, a new way to be human. It's a return back to the way that we were created. Like this isn't like this, this new thing. This is, this is how we were, were created to be. As we look at Genesis chapter 3, we find that in Genesis 3 that God walked with Adam. And they abided together. They, they spent time with one another. This is a return back to the way that we were meant to be. This is, a, this is not just trying something new. Like This is a reset to back to our, our default position. It's, it's the time when the, the electronic goes wrong and you unplug and plug it back in and like hope that it resets itself. Like This is what it is. It's getting back to what we were created for, to be abiding in Him, to be in this relationship with Him. And one of the things I find fascinating about this abiding is, is this isn't adding something else to your life. This isn't like looking at your schedule and be like, okay, when can I add this into it? I think for a lot of us, what this is, is it's taking something away. And I think that's actually a really good thing because our lives, our schedules, are, they're, they're busy. There's a lot of things going on. And for us, like, this is one of the times where we don't get to add something to our lives. We get to take something away. We get to, to tinker something. We get to twerk it a little bit and, and tweak it a little bit. And like we get to, not twerk it, that's the wrong word. We get <laughs> tweak it. Don't, don't twerk that, okay? Um, I don't know what just happened there. Uh, so we, this is something that we tweak in our lives and just do a little change in our lives so that we can be leveraging, leveraging things for good. Be doing the things that we are meant to do for good. I mean, who couldn't use a little less noise and a little more Jesus. And if we are too busy to be spending time with Jesus, friends, you are way, way too busy. Like, this is something that we have to do. Once again, if we look back at Luke 5, 16, Jesus said, it says this of Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And I love this Greek word for wilderness. It's eremos. And so one of the things like that this, for this word withdrew, it's, it's the, Hebrew, the Greek word is eremos. And here's kind of some other definitions. It's uninhabited, deserted, absent of inhabitants, lonely, remote, solitary. And if we trace this word back to the Old Testament Hebrew, we can find wasteland, desolate, a barren um, wilderness. Like you get the idea, right? Emptiness, void. 
nothingness. And there is this deep irony that I think we see here. And it's, it's this. It's in the empty and lifeless that we find the fullness of life. It's in this empty, it's in this void, it's in this lifeless that we find the fullness of life that Jesus is offering us in John 10.10. 10. It's when we, we step away, we turn down the volume, we go to the Aramos where it's, where it's quiet, where, where there's not a lot going on around us. And we connect, we connect with Jesus. We find this life that he has for us, this fullness of life we begin to see there. And, and this seems so backwards from what we might know. Like This seems so counterintuitive. It's like, okay, if I'm going to connect and I'm going to find this life, I've got to just do all these different things. And, and some of them may be good, but Jesus is saying, hey, just slow down. Take a step to the Aramos, where it's quiet, where it's still. And just be in his presence. And so what we're talking about here, it's, it's the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. And, and so I don't know, anybody in here like silence and solitude? All right, one of us, few of us, like, I, we're going to get this, it freaks me out, I'm going to be real honest. Like, uh, so it, it weirds me out. But like, this is what Jesus is calling us to. He said, just be silent. Have some time alone in solitude. Guess what? This isn't even, this isn't praying. This isn't reading your Bible. We're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines next week, don't worry. But this is just this time to be alone with God and to just abide in Him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this book that he calls Life Together. And one of the things that he says in that book, he, he has a chapter on actually like the, the day alone. And so I find it really fascinating that in this book about community, he talks about the day alone. And this is one of the things that he says. He says, everyone knows that this is something that needs to be practiced and learned in these days when talkativeness prevails. So he's talking about silence and solitude. Like this is something that we all need to do in this, in this age, in this day, when talk, talkativeness prevails. That book was written and it was published in 1954. And talkativeness prevailed then? How much so now? Like we have social media, we have, we have everything that's around us. Like how much more do we need to practice the silence and solitude, like if it was true then, which I think it was, it's even more true now. It's something we need to practice. It's something we need to learn. It's something we need to prepare ourselves for. And I think as we, we're, there's a few roadblocks that kind of come up to the silence and solitude thing. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at, at a few of the roadblocks that might happen. Here's the first roadblock, oddly enough, distractions, right? All right. Roadblock number one, distractions. And here's the difficult thing about distractions, is they can be bad things, but they can also be really good things. Like the good things can, can distract us as well, like reading your Bible, fantastic thing to do. You should all do it, very, very highly recommended. Like listening to worship music, praying, listening to podcasts, like these are good things, but they can easily be things that distract us away from actually not being with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his, his satire little book called The Screwtape Letters, he, he talks about this idea of, of, of um, distractions. And he kind of goes through this conversation between Screwtape, who is an experienced devil, and he's, giving a, he's mentoring this, this new inexperienced devil called Wormwood. And he's telling them about the, the power of distraction. And he's saying, hey, when they, maybe that moment where the guy is about to hear the gospel for the first time, make that stomach start to growl. 
It's like, oh, I got to go grab something to eat. And then like the power of distraction. Maybe it's the, the crazy crying baby. Maybe it's the person in front of you who's like shaking their leg and their chair is just starting to squeak a little bit and that begins to distract you. Maybe it's the person in front of you who, when they shave, they left a little bit of shaving cream behind their ear and you can't stop staring at it. Maybe it's the person with the uneven haircut. Like, whatever it may be, like, maybe it's just these little distractions that begin to catch our minds and, and, and take care of us. Like, or maybe it's like, oh, did, did he just quote a movie? Who played in that movie? Oh, yeah, what else did he play in? Oh, that was such a good movie. I should watch that again. Oh, I wonder if I can invite that guy or that girl that I really like to come and watch that movie with me. That'd be a good idea. Oh no, if I do that, I've got to clean my house. Ooh, I'm, I'm out of cleaning supplies, so let me go ahead and get my phone out so I can put that on my shopping list. Oh wait, I have an Instagram DM, that's cool. And we begin to, maybe that's just how my mind works, but like we begin to see how far, and then all of a sudden we're like, wait, what just happened? We're, we're already done? Like what happened? And like these distractions that begin to, to come up in our lives. And here's the thing, is I think one of the greatest distractions in our lives is, is, is busyness. We just fill our lives full of stuff and we're so busy and we tend to, we tend to wear busy as like a badge of honor. Like when we meet people, how are you, how are you doing? Busy. Ah, good for you. Way to go. Now you're doing something with your life. Like busyness does not equal importance. It doesn't equal like actually doing things that, that matter. And the Gospel Coalition writes this article about how distractions are the, the, could be the number one stopper or changer of, of revival. The thing that ends revival is distraction. And I found this quote really fascinating. Here's what they write. They said, Is there a better strategy to undermine Christian mission, formation, and holiness than to fill up every second of a Christian's life with ceaseless content? Is there anything better to, to end a movement of, of being with Jesus than just to fill our lives with, with just stuff? With distractions. And so maybe that's the first roadblock is, is distraction. So what do we do? We go to the Aramos, right? We, we step away and we, we try to remove that roadblock. Maybe the next one is, is fear. Because here's the thing. I don't always think many of us like being alone with our own thoughts, right? Like, and here's the thing. Silence and solitude, it affords us the opportunity. It gives us the opportunity to see ourselves as we truly are. And we, we don't always like that. Right? Like it is terrifying sometimes to, to be alone with your own thoughts. And, and, and there's a good chance we're not always going to like what we see. I mean, maybe ignorance is bliss, but, but no. Like we need to see, we actually need to know what's going on inside of us. I don't know if you guys have seen the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, but there's a moment, there's a, there's a, Nine-Nine, there we go. There's a part of this show where Jake gets thrown in solitary confinement. And like, he's talking, he's like, okay, you, you know what, enjoy your thoughts. And Jake's like, okay, this will be fine. And then like, as soon as they shut the door, Jake goes, uh, die hard, cruises, pizza bagel restaurant. My parents never love me. I'm going to die alone. Oh boy, that happened fast. Like, there's just this moment, like, and I think sometimes that's what begins to happen, right? And then he begins like making like an art of...